And so as I'm getting into this morning and we're starting to look at, at Malachi chapter 3 and I, we're really getting in through a lot of these things and last week we dealt with the family and, and we hit that pretty heavy. We left last week in 17 chapters, or verse 17 of, of chapter 2 and the children of Israel had came to a place and they basically said, God, you told us all of these things were going to happen and now none of this has happened. So the bad people are getting praised and us people that are doing all these good things are the evil ones. And they kind of put on their poor me, pity face type of a thing and they go crying to God. So we're going to come into this morning and we're going to start diving in and dealing a little bit more with stewardship. This time we're going to get to the place financially and look where it is financially. And God and Malachi, as he was writing, just kind of got to the point in the middle of this chapter and really just called him out for what it was. But in dealing with what I stated at the very beginning, when we allow the things of the world to rule and reign our lives, the doubt of God becomes so natural to us. When we do those things, there's a popular song out, it's a slow fade, I believe it's Casting Crowns that, that sings it, but, but when we look at that thought, it's a slow fade from the time that we were this close to God to the point that now here we are when we don't really care anymore, or it's just a ritualistic thing that we do. It's a, it's a process of time that all those things happen. We've talked about the country and the state of which our country is in. And basically, if we look at the children of Israel and where they were to where they are in Malachi chapter 1, and if we were to look at United States of America, where we were and where we are today, we would look at a slow fading process of a number of different things where here's what it is and here's a scary thing. And I've stated this, some of the fear with myself as a, as a father is I have four children, that all of my children would grow up and serve the Lord with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. Some of you that have adult children, you know that same thing. Or maybe you have a teenager in this room and you're scared to death at the things that are in this world that just eat at our teenagers. But we look, and here's, here's my point in this, is my biggest fear, my biggest concern is... I believe, just like the children of Israel, there was a time when, man, they were on fire. There were some incredible things. And they do all these things, and they go, 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 go. They do these things, just like what we teach our kids. You do this, you don't do that. You do this, you don't do that. You do this, you don't do that. And the children of Israel lived in that. Here's your laws, and don't go outside of them. And we've gotten to a place today where you can look at a Christian young man or a young woman and you could ask them why they don't do something and basically their answer would be, uh, I don't know. Well, you've not done that all your life. Why not? My mom told me not to. My dad said no. And you never get to a place where you teach them why they don't do these things or when, and then all of a sudden now it's like, well, I don't know why I do it, so I guess I might as well do it. And all throughout the children of Israel's days, so much of them, it was just ritual, 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 ritual. So much of what sits in this room is ritual, 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 ritual. We do it, but we really don't know why we do it or what that purpose is or whatever that is. And so eventually what it gets to the place of is, I guess it's not really a problem if I don't do it. and Because we, we don't know why we do it. Why do I come to church? Well, I don't know. You know how many arguments 
well, really, I don't even argue it, but you know how many people have said, well, I can just pray to God in my own room, in my own house, and I have my own personal relationship with God. I don't need the church. I don't know about you. I need you. There's a reason that God put believers with believers for encouragement for all these things. We need each other. But we, we go throughout so much of our lives and we teach our children so many times, well, just don't do it and just don't do it and just don't do it. And we never explain to them. And I believe in my study and I believe with where we are with the, the children of Israel is they kind of came to this place from generation all the way down to where they are now in Malachi. They kind of got to a place where they had all the rituals down, but it just kind of got to that place where, well, I guess we just won't do this because I really don't fully grasp it anyways. So let's just not do it. I would say in much of our churches and much of our Christianity in the United States of America would be pretty similar. Oh, I got saved when I was five years old in Sunday school and now I'm 18 years old. But yeah, the homosexuality, that's okay. They don't affect me. That stuff doesn't bother. It's, it's, it's of no effect to me. Abortion, well, that's their life. That doesn't affect me. This, well, that's their thing. It doesn't affect me. And we don't know why we don't believe in those things and why we would say that's against God's word, but we would say, oh, we're not going to do it. And now you're 18 years old and you've lived that way for so long and you go, well, I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I work with these people and they've done all these things and they're really nice people. They don't affect me at all. So it must be okay. I believe, in a, and I may be dead wrong, I believe that we're kind of coming to a place with the children of Israel and in Malachi where they have done so many ritualistic things for so long, there was no heart behind it, there was no love behind it, there was no passion behind it, there was none of those things, and it was just, well, we, we do this. And Malachi is calling them out. And that's kind of where we come in this morning in chapter number 3. And I'm going to jump right in again with just the the, the, the topic or the, the thought this morning in Malachi chapter 3 I'm going to start where or I guess I should say chapter 2 I'm going to start in 17 and then I'm going to come right back through very quickly in 17 but it says ye have wearied the Lord with your words yet ye say wherein have we wearied him when ye say everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delighteth in them or where is the God of judgment Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. The first thing that I have on the kind of the points this morning is that the people doubted. The doubt of the people. In verse number 17 again, they were having a great amount of doubt and skepticism. They were now questioning God. Where is this God of judgment we've heard about all these years? Where is the judgment of these people who are doing evil, who are doing all these things to us and and to other people? All of these countries all around us are horrible people. We're your special called people. And for the last hundred or a thousand or whatever many years, we've been hearing that this, this guy, this, this king, this Messiah is coming. You know what, God? Everybody else is making it. And here we are, your chosen people. 
and you delight in the evil that's going on, where is this God, this judging God that's supposed to be coming? And they start questioning all of these things. And so right away we see Malachi in chapter number 3 as we get into this. The, the children have doubted. And Malachi in chapter number 3 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And as we look, we see just a couple things right off the bat, and really the first thing that we see in chapter number 3 is, Behold, I will send my messenger. And if we know, and if, you, if you're familiar with the Scripture at all, well, let's go to John. We do just go a couple pages over, really, just a couple books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's go to John chapter number 1, and we'll see this messenger that Malachi is talking about. In John chapter number 1, starting in verse number 6, it says, and if you don't have a Bible, it's on the screens, I believe, but there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare that witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John the Baptist, we know, came, and if we continue to go down just a couple, really, I would encourage you to take this whole chapter and read it maybe at some point, maybe this afternoon, but in John chapter 1, if we go just a couple verses in verse 19, and this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. And I believe I got one more verse. And then he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Esaias. And then jump a couple more verses in verse 26 and verse number 27. It says, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who, cometh, who coming after me is perfect preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. And we see here in Malachi that Malachi states to the children, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And we read all those passages of Scripture there in John, as John wrote, and he was stating as John the Baptist was the, the preparer of the message that was coming. He had came, and can you imagine in that day it's been 400 or so years since Malachi, and now we've got all of this time and all the rituals and all the things that are taking place, and here's this guy who stands up and says, listen, I'm coming, the one is coming right behind me, and I'm preparing the way for him. These guys had to have gone, listen, 
we've heard this story for thousands of years about this Messiah who is supposed to come. And so here's John the Baptist giving everything that he has and telling him, listen, man, the guy that's coming right after me, I'm not even worthy to latch it to his shoes. And this man is coming. So in Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 1, he lets them know that, behold, quickly, suddenly, is what that's saying, that a messenger will come. They asked where, they asked when, and then he responds. He shall prepare the way in the Lord to whom ye seek shall shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse number two, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. As we look at this, they were asking the questions. They were, they were seeking. They were saying all these things. Who is it? Where will he be? And all of these things that obviously would come up. Not only, but he mentioned that he would be coming to his temple. He would come suddenly to the temple is what it says. And if you look in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 22, we see that not long after the birth of Jesus and when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Again, Jerusalem being where the temple was and as was custom, they would have done that. As we look and we continue to go through this passage of Scripture, I read in verse number 2, and as it goes into verse number 3, it says, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. He would burn off the dirt, the grime, the mess of the precious metals. He would separate the good from the bad. Jesus would come and be the refiner that would come. And as we've, we've read it in Scripture, it's all throughout Scripture in different places that, that we would basically be lit as fire so that all of the junk could kind of be taken off of us. The next thing he says is that he would be the, the soap, the fuller's soap. He'd be a cleanser. I'm imagining that most of you understand that in those days you didn't push a button and put your clothes inside of a washing machine. If you did not know that, they did not have washing machines 2,000 years ago. But we would all, most of us would know this. Maybe you've done it yourself. You've taken a, maybe you've got something on your shirt, you take it, you put some soap on it, you rub it together, you do what you got to do, you work out that, that stain or that dirt and grime, whatever's in that shirt. My mom did it after every baseball game with grass stains and dirt stains and everything else. You've done it. We do it in our home. But at this day, they would take the clothes, they would take the stuff, and they would, they would get it, and they would have a pit kind of type of a thing, and they would stand on it, and they would walk, and they would stomp, and they would work those clothes to get all the junk out of it. He's saying that he'd be a cleanser. 
that the Messiah would come and cleanse and purge the sin from the lives of the people. Have you ever felt in your life that you're just kind of laying down and God's just kind of walking on you, purging all that junk out of your life, just pulling and tugging and and maybe sometimes you feel like you're in the middle of the fire and you're, I don't understand what in the world. I, and you come out and you go, wow, all of this is now gone. He needed to get these things out of our lives, out of the, the situation that we were in. And he had to work all of these things. And, and you in the middle of it, you're sitting in the middle of it and you're on fire. And you can't figure it out. All the while... God has you in that refiner's fire, just like Malachi said was coming when Jesus came as the Messiah. He was going to come and cleanse, and He was going to come and purge and get rid of the things that needed to get rid of, be gotten rid of. And as those children of Israel would doubt, Malachi continued to, to press into him, And he continued to let them know, hey, there will be a messenger that will be coming. And then when Jesus comes, He's going to put us in that fire. He's going to refine. He's going to purify. He's going to cleanse us. He's going to purge. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord. As we look in those verses 3 and 4, Malachi has dealt with a whole bunch of stuff in this passage of Scripture. I re, if you re go back a couple uh, last chapter in chapter 2 where Malachi stuck his finger right in the chest of those priests and, and we look here in this time and he's really dealing specifically with the priests. Think about this and I've said this and I believe this with all my heart for America to do anything of change to go back to the right direction it needs to come from the family. But the only way it comes from the family is as it comes from the leaders of the churches to teach and to preach and to get back to the foundation of the Word of God. So Malachi is going to the priests, and if it was going to take place in their land at that particular time, it was going to come from the priests. And as we look through this and we look at the thoughts here, there's a couple of different things here that are thought of as far as the purging and the purification of what this is. One of them is that they were talking of the temple cleansing. Another thing is that they might be mentioning of Christ and His teaching being against that of religious leaders. That when Jesus comes, if you know, Jesus was pretty brash and He, he said a lot of things that went against some of the traditions of, of what they were supposed to, or supposedly what they were. Another thing is that uh, in Acts chapter 6, it speaks of Levitical priests coming to a conversion of Christ. And it, there's a couple of different things. But the Hebrew word, or the participles here, that are the, the words that are mentioned in this, this particular passage of Scripture speak of a continual cleansing. This purifying would allow for their offering to be righteous, thus meeting the covenant, the law, to give worthily their sacrifice, their offerings to the Lord. That's the goal, is that we could give worthily. The goal is that they could come back and when they gave of their offerings, it would be met and it would be worthy of the Lord. They weren't there. 
as we continue to come down in verse number 5, and I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against false swearers, against those that oppress the hireling into wages, the widow, the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. There's going to be a punishment for those who choose to not follow or to not accept the, refiner, the refiner's fire and that purging that we spoke of just a couple verses earlier. And it comes down and it says specific things. There's five specific sins or things that it mentions. The sorcerers, those who dabble in the cult. It talks about adulterers, those that will stand condemned for adultery. If we know much about that, adultery was mentioned all throughout Scripture and how those will be dealt with. False swearers are the misuse of God in a solemn oath, swearing in the name of Christ that which isn't true. People that may say, maybe they stand at a pulpit, maybe they stood in teaching, but they would say on behalf of Christ, so to speak, these are the things, but they know they're speaking false False swearers or the misuse of God. Oppressors. Divine judgment. Victims may be, when we look at this, people that are holding people under oppression. Those may be, and it mentions here, maybe a hireling, maybe a widow, maybe the fatherless, whatever that would be there in verse number 5. And then it says, do not fear the Lord of hosts. we would be obedient. And then in verse number 6, it says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Because He does not change, there will be punishment. There always has been. There always will be. But there's also a love and a compassion that God gives. And He shows that compassion on those children that they would not be consumed at that time. As we go into this next, sep- this next section, the, the next passage of Scripture here, starting in verse number 7, we see the dishonesty of the people. And again, this is where we're going to get into more of, of what we're talking about this morning with specific with, with the tithing and the giving and all of those kinds of things. And I pray that, that as we have gone from chapter 1, verse number 1, now to this passage of Scripture, that we can look at this passage differently maybe than you have heard it in a Scripture before but that it would maybe make sense to us. And in verse number 7 it says, Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Malachi comes to the children and he says, Man, you've been doing this from the time of your fathers. This has been going on for generations. This isn't just something that just took place today. This is something that has taken place over time and over time. And he says, here's the opportunity, return unto me. And as they've done really throughout this whole entire book of Malachi, they look at him and they say, well, wherein? Wherein should I return? What am I doing wrong? I'm doing all of these things. Wherein? So many times we say the same thing. Well, I'm already doing everything. I'm already there at church. I'm already this. I'm, I'm already all this stuff. Same exact thing. So wherein shall we return? In verse number 8, will a man rob God? 
Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. As we get into this passage of Scripture, we look here, and and Malachi calls them out. Will a man rob God? Listen, you're just robbing God. And they say, well, wherein have we robbed God? Let me just say this as we're getting into this and talking about finances and and tithing this morning. We don't look at tithing anything like they looked at tithing. Tithing to us is an option. Tithing to them was not an option. Hence, when he said, will you rob God? If you don't, he said, well, fine, you know what? Cursed be your land. Tithing wasn't an option. What happens if you don't pay your taxes? Someone's knocking on your door. If you don't pay your taxes, someone's knocking at your door. Someone's coming to your doorstep to say, hello, I'm from the IRS, and you've not paid $10,000 in taxes. You owe me money. That's prison time. That's a lot of different things. Basically, when you go back through Scripture and you go back to those times, in some regard, with, it was basically a tax. They paid their tithes and offerings as a part of the covenant, as a part of the law. They paid their tithes and offerings. It was no option. And so when we look here and we start looking at this passage of Scripture, and I think many times we, we preachers would preach it because we just want your money or whatever it is that oftentimes we think, Will a man rob God? And we just go to this passage as we study from Malachi chapter 1 all the way to this point in Scripture. There has been one thing after another after another that Malachi continually went back to the children of Israel and said, you're not doing this, this is a part of the covenant. You're not doing this, this is a part of the covenant. You're not doing this, this is a part of the covenant. And finally he gets to this point, the financial end of it, and he says, listen... Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. And you have the the, the nerve to look at God and say, wherein have I robbed you? And as we get into this this morning, the, the, the dishonesty of the people that we're dealing with here in the book of Malachi, and as we start looking at this, I get the... The, the topic of this morning, I get at this particular time where we're dealing with finances, but we have to stop and we have to really look back and go, these people believed so much into this, it, it, you did it. There was no question, there was nothing. You gave of your tithes at that particular time. The church, the temple... The Levites, everybody would bring to the Levites so that they could cover because the Levites were the ones that kept after the temple. The Levites were the priests. They were, they were all of these things, so they gave to them. 
And they would do that. And then every third year, they would come and they would bring more what they called a poor offering. And that offering would help support the communities and the the poor people of the church and within the community. What happens today? Let me just ask you this question. Let's take our government and throw it away. Some of you go, yeah! But no, let's just hear me out. Prior to 1950, 60, whatever, without me having gone back and done all my research for the exact numbers, we didn't always have welfare. We didn't always have all of the systems that are in place today to cover for everybody who doesn't make enough money or whatever that might be. That was taken care of by the church. The church covered all those things. The church dealt with its own. The church dealt with the community. The church did all those things. Where does that come from? That comes from going all the way back to the Old Testament where we're talking about because they gave, because that was what they did. They supplied, they cared, they loved for their own. Why do we have hospitals and nurses and all of these things? Much of that is because of the Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ. Nursing started from a Christian woman who wanted to reach people out of that. And so we go through all of these different things, and all of that comes from this topic right here. The tithe in that day, annual tithe, that was for the maintenance of the Levites, the priests, and so forth. A second tithe was kept home and used for the poor. The people gave to support and to supply the needs of the Levites whose job was as the priests and keepers of the temple. The Levites also paid forth and gave back. Then the people would support and provide for the poor and the needy. Verse number 9, it speaks very plainly that ye are cursed with a curse for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. When they look at the cursings there at this particular time, you're looking at drought, you're looking at the, the, the... The crops were being destroyed. You're looking at all these different things because that was their financial well-being. That was how they cared. And so God basically said that curse would be upon the land which would not allow them to do the things that they did. I believe that that isn't only for them. I believe that God has in some ways cursed the church today Because of this same exact thing. And I get that we can stand here and we can argue whether the New Testament speaks specifically of a tithe. Or we can do all those things and that's really not the thought this morning. But when we don't give to the Lord, there is a consequence for that. And you may say, well it's not about the money and it's not about the things. But let me share with you this and I'm, this is where it's going to just get real for just a few moments. When we don't give to God, there is a consequence. Let me just, we'll just ask the question here and you can ask yourself, but those who give are the same ones who serve. It goes hand in hand with our heart. When my heart is right, it's not a financial issue. When my heart is right, it's not a time issue. When my heart is right, all of these things take place. Listen, if our churches decide not to give and not to do those things, then who suffers? 
The church suffers, but not really the church. The community suffers. The world suffers. It's not about us. It's not about this pastor having a bigger salary. It's not about any of those things. When we don't give to God, we suffer. Not because we can't have a bigger building. Not because of any of those things. Because our hearts aren't right. And when our hearts aren't right, we don't serve our kids. And we don't serve the community. And we don't serve the world. Because it's back to our heart. We've got to get our hearts to the place that we want to serve God, that it's not about money, it's about loving people. And when we love God, we love people. All of these things, when I read this scripture, it doesn't make me angry because I don't give enough. It makes me go, am I robbing God? It's not about my wallet. In the book, the greatest tithing principle ever in the Bible is what? The widow's might. She did what? She gave all that she had. It wasn't a lot. It's not about that. Stewardship, this whole series, everything that we've done, it's not about tithing. But here's what I'll tell you. When you tithe, you'll serve. When you tithe, you'll love people. When you tithe, you're going to get involved. Why? Because when I'm giving, my heart is in a place that I want to be used by an almighty God. Not because I gave $5 million, but because I gave what I could. Because I gave of, of my time and my talent and my treasure. And I gave because God touched me so that I could touch you. That's the whole principle of tithing to me in, the, in all of the Bible. It's my heart. It's my heart. And I get that. I hear it all the time. Oh, pastors just want money. Pastors just want money. Pastors just want money. No. Do you know what I want more than I want money? I want you to have an honest, open relationship with your heavenly Father that you would love people. Because let me tell you, if we had that in this church, and if we had that in the church across the street, and in all the churches all across this valley, we would have more people wanting to serve people walking off the street. We would have more people than we knew what to do with wanting to work with our children and wanting to work with our nurseries and wanting to do all the things. We wouldn't have enough room for a choir. We wouldn't have enough buildings to serve all of these people but we don't because it's here it's here it's not the wallet it's not what does it say in the new testament and i just lost my train of thought but what it speaks specifically in the new testament it says that where your treasure is your heart will be also You know why I let my kids do things that they do and I love giving them money to do it? Not because dad is rich. I promise you, he's not. Because I love my kids. Why do I sometimes splurge to take my wife to a nice restaurant? Because I think it's cute to see how they decorate the plate with a six-ounce piece of steak? No. Because I love my wife. So sometimes I want to do certain things. Why is it that sometimes we come home from work a little bit early because we're going to spend time with our family? Why do you take vacations? 
Hopefully not just to get away from work. Hopefully you take a vacation to really spend time with your family and your wife and your kids, whatever that would be. Because our heart is there. Why is it that when we say we need a children's worker, we all look at everybody else and go, well, they'll do it. I'm sorry. Our hearts aren't there. That's the reality. And I'm not saying, I I get I'm speaking to Oasis Baptist Church today. I could pretty much speak this to any church all across the nation. And it would be pretty much the same situation. Because otherwise, statistics say that roughly 12-ish percent of people in the church give. That means this group of people, probably even less than this group of people, and all of you, this group gives. You know what that tells me? This group gives. This group serves. This group is our church. That's the statistics and that's the reality. And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. I'm not saying that so next week our offerings will go up. If that was the case, I would have had the offering after the service. I'm saying that because our hearts. Listen, the, the, the tears and the things that were before is I beg God that Oasis Baptist Church would be the church that could be a light in the darkness in Las Vegas. But the only way that happens is if our hearts are right. My heart is right. That leads down to your heart is right to challenge you to do those things. I don't want to be the church that has 10% of the people doing 90% of the work. I don't want that. That burns people out. I want to be the church that people go, how do you get so many people to do all of those things? I don't know. Try to teach them and love on them and encourage them to get in the word. That is stewardship. God's given it to me. I have to manage it. Part of managing it based on God's finances is giving it back. God's given me time. Part of managing that is giving it back. God's given me abilities. Part of managing that is giving it back. God's given me a lot of things. God's given you a lot of things. Part of managing it, part of being a steward, is giving it right back to Him. And as we close, Malachi challenged the people. Malachi said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And he continues on in this passage that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Man, Malachi says, God, God said, hey, bring it all in. I challenge you to bring it all to me. And if I don't pour out a blessing on you, 
and the windows of heaven don't open up. And in the next passage, it says, if basically, if he's not your pest control, in the passage it says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. That's talking about the, the, the pests that were devouring their, or their crops. If I don't open up heaven and allow rain to come down to, to pour on your crops, and if I don't take all these things away, now what is it? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do those things to you. Try me. Test me. What do we do when we're kids? I dare you, nana, 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 right? I double dog dare you. That's basically what God said. Hey, I dare you. Go ahead and test me. Try me on that. I'll tell you from experience, any time that I have not given, I've had a lot of problems with my finances. In the moments when I have given, I've gone... Wait a second. So I, would, I forget who I was talking to just the other day. They said, I've been giving my tithes, and I started to sit down to figure out how my bills were being paid, and there was money in the bank, and then I stopped because I knew financially it wouldn't make sense on paper, and I just quit doing it, and I just continued to do it. I don't understand how it works. I can't tell you what to do, but I can share with you this. God challenges us all. Do it, and let me be a blessing to you. Can I share with you this? And this is maybe the worst thing a pastor can ever say publicly on a stage in front of a group of people. If you don't feel that you can give to Oasis Baptist Church, find a church where you feel you can give, and I will give you my blessing, and I will help you find that place. It's that important to me for your Christian life that that is a part of who you are. Because it's not about that. It's about my heart. And if you would look at me and you would go, I don't trust you and I don't think you're going to do really the good things with my money, go find one that you can trust, that you can give it to. Why? Because it's about the heart behind the matter. And I'll just say this on on the surface. You're not giving money to me anyways. You're giving it to God. It's not what it's about. It's here. It's here. Listen, if we want to be a church that reaches this community, if we want to be a church that reaches this world with missions or anything else, we have to be a giving church. We have to be a church that gives financially. And I'm just telling you right now, if you give financially, the rest is all there because it's a heart matter. And when I give With my finances, my feet walk right behind it. And I'm going to serve with our teenagers. And I'm going to serve with our children. And I'm going to carry a baby because I believe in it. And I'm going to sing in a choir. And I'm going to go and be a part of all the different ministries that we have. And I'm going to do those things. Why? Because my heart is right because I'm loving God. And that's what it's all about. This morning... I understand the topic. This morning, and I've tried to do my best to relay as much as I can that this is not a financial situation. I believe stewardship, one, it's as foundational, foundational, foundational as it comes in church. 
But we need to do the right thing with our Christian life, with our Christian walk. I wish I could come to you today and say we have an overabundance of people dying to be ushers, of people dying to work in the sound booth, of people dying to work with our children, of people dying to do all these things. I wish that was the case today. It's not. I wish it was the case today that I could say, you know what? You guys were so incredible last month. You gave so much that we're going to give you some back. I wish I could come to all of those things. I don't think that will ever happen. But I wish that was our problem. It's not. I'll I'll give you one for instance. We have children. You know how many workers we have that work with our children, Sunday school and Sunday morning worship? Three. Three. Not a guilt trip. The real deal. Penny McCoy hasn't been in a church service in probably four months. If not longer. Daryl Ingersoll. And Sue Harris. If there's more, I apologize. I know those three on a regular basis. They don't come to me and cry and complain. That's not what this is about. It's our church pouring back to God and giving Him our heart and saying, Man, I can serve. I can help. I can do these things. Why? Because I love God. Because our kids matter. Because ushers matter. Because greeters matter. Because all of these things matter. Let me say this. It's getting better. We've had a lot more help in the last few months. And so please, it's not a, I, please, 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 this isn't a browbeating type of a thing. But it's our hearts. It's our hearts. I did this, this whole series is based, it's our hearts. That we would give back to God. And that this church would be a church that isn't like every other church. We have a heart to serve God. And because of that, we're flooding this valley with love, with people. Every head bowed, every eye closed.